What Wives Wish Their Husbands Knew About Women by Dr. James Dobson Tyndale House Publishers, Wheaton, Illinois Chapter 2 Sources of Depression in Women Perhaps the most inescapable conclusion I have drawn from psychological counseling of women concerns the commonness of depression and emotional apathy as a recurring fact of life. The majority of adult females seem to experience these times of despair, discouragement, disinterest, distress, despondency, and disenchantment with circumstances as they are. I have come to call this condition the D's for obvious reasons. A counselee will say, I have the D's today, and I know precisely what she means. Depression is not uniquely characteristic of women, certainly, but it occurs less frequently in men and is apparently more crisis-oriented. In other words, men get depressed over specific problems such as a business setback or an illness. However, they are less likely to experience the vague, generalized, almost unidentifiable feeling of discouragement which many women encounter on a regular basis. Even a cloudy day may be enough to bring on a physical and emotional slowdown known as the blahs for those who are particularly vulnerable to depression. The impact of depression can be minimized somewhat by an understanding of the cyclical nature of emotions occurring in both sexes. Haven't you observed from your own experience that highs are followed by lows and lows by highs? There is a regular fluctuation almost like a mathematical sine curve from a peak of enthusiasm to the depth of gloominess. Furthermore, individual personalities do not extend much farther in one direction than they do the other. In other words, if we draw a line across the middle of the curve, symbolizing the emotional center, neither high nor low, the distance from there to the peak for a particular person is almost the same as the distance from there to the valley. Let's look at an example or two. Type 1 people characterized below, don't get very excited about anything. These steady Freddies and stable Mabels don't cheer enthusiastically at football games, and their laughter is never boisterous. Good news is received about as calmly as bad. On the other hand, they never get very discouraged either. They are rather dull people, but at least they're consistently dull. You can count on them. Today will be much like yesterday, tomorrow, and next November. By contrast, type 2 people are the world's true swingers. Their emotions bounce from the rafters down to the basement and back up the wall again. We all know at least one type 2 individual who gets extremely happy every now and then. He arises in the morning and giggles at the very thought of the sunrise, he waves at the birds and grins at the flowers and whistles zippity doo dah throughout the day. 
Beware of this jolly fellow. I can guarantee you that he is going to crash not many days hence. And when he falls, great will be the collapse and disintegration thereof. Nothing will go right, and life won't be worth living, and he will have no friends, and woe will fill the entire earth. He's so sentimental, he will even weep at supermarket openings. He is truly an emotional yo-yo. And for reasons known only to a confused Cupid, this type 2 extremist will probably marry a type 1 boar, and the two of them will scratch and claw each other regularly for the next 40 years. My wife and I attended a symphony in Berlin during our first trip to Europe. Sitting in front of us was a young man who was probably studying music at a local university. He went into some kind of strange ecstasy during the first half of the performance, swaying to the orchestration with his eyes closed and standing to cheer after every number. Following the last performance before the intermission, he went crazy with delight. You would have thought USC had just scored the winning touchdown against Notre Dame for the national championship. He yelled, bravo, bravo, and waved to the conductor. But wouldn't you know, the second half of the performance made him sick. He slumped in his chair, booed the orchestra, and muttered his displeasure throughout the remaining hour of the concert. He finally sprang to his feet and pushed toward the aisle, stepping on toes, knees, and Beethoven's fifth, stalking from the auditorium in a huff. Though I've never seen this young man, either before or after the concert, I can safely state that he typifies a type 2 personality. His capacity for a high, demonstrated in the first half of the performance, was matched by an equal and opposite low as the evening progressed. Frankly, I enjoyed his antics more than I did the music, but I wouldn't want him as a brother-in-law. He had more hang-ups than the phone company. It is also helpful to understand the nature of emotional rhythm in human beings. Anything producing an extreme high will set the stage for a later low, and vice versa. About a year ago, for example, my wife and I bought a newer home. We had waited several years to find the right house, and we became very excited when escrow closed and the property was finally ours. The elation lasted for several days, during which time I discussed the experience with Shirley. I mentioned that we had been very high and that our excitement could not continue indefinitely. Emotions don't operate at maximum velocity for very long. More important, it was likely that our mental set would drop below sea level within a short period of time. As expected, we both experienced a vague letdown into mild depression about three days later. The house didn't seem so wonderful, and there wasn't anything worth much enthusiasm. However, having anticipated the downer, we recognized and accepted its temporary fluctuation when it came. Your own depression will be more tolerable if you understand it as a relatively predictable occurrence. It's likely to appear, for instance, following a busy holiday, the birth of a baby, a job promotion, or even after a restful vacation. The cause for this phenomenon is partly physical in nature. 
Obviously, elation consumes greater quantities of body energy, since all systems are operating at an accelerated rate. The necessary consequence of this pace is fatigue and exhaustion, bringing with it a more depressed state. Thus, highs must be followed by lows. The system is governed by a psychological law. You can depend on it. But in the healthy individual, thank goodness, lows eventually give way to highs too. Returning to my earlier statement, it is not the normal fluctuation from high to low which causes me concern. Rather, it is the tendency of many women to remain in a depressed state much longer than should be expected. Instead of oscillating from high to low, these people may remain blue and discouraged for two or three weeks every month. Some are perpetually trapped in the emotional cellar for years without relief. The recurring presence of this complaint in my professional experience has led me to explore its causes and solutions. Before difficult problems can be solved, they must be understood. For example, the guilty poliomyelitis virus had to be identified and isolated before Dr. Jonas Salk could produce a vaccine to combat it. In like manner, I set about identifying and isolating the specific causes for inordinate periods of depression in women. I had already observed in counseling sessions that the same frustrations and irritations were reflected by women of varying ages and backgrounds. There were, in fact, ten problems which had become extremely familiar to me. I had heard them repeated enough to have memorized the typical circumstances surrounding each irritation. Therefore, I devised a simple 10-item questionnaire titled Sources of Depression in Women, on which are listed those recurring themes. Printed on the next page is a copy of that brief test. Later, I asked approximately 75 women to rank the 10 items appearing on the questionnaire according to their frustration from each source. The most depressing of the 10 was to be given a 1. The least relevant item was scored a 10. By averaging the results, it was then possible to determine which problems were most influential in the lives of the women surveyed. While this study was never intended to meet the rigid specifications of the scientific method in every detail, it is interesting to know something about the women who completed the questionnaire. The 75 participants were married women between 27 and 40 years old. The mean age was probably about 32. The majority were mothers who still had small children at home. Since the questionnaire was given in two church settings, most of the women professed to being dedicated to the Christian faith. They were predominantly middle-class suburban homemakers. Each was asked to rank the items in privacy, not indicating her name or other personal identification. The results of the questionnaire are presented on the following pages, with the 10 sources of depression appearing in the order indicated by approximately half of the participants. Before reading further, however, it is suggested that the reader complete the questionnaire on his or her own behalf. Women should number a sheet of paper from 1 to 10 and then rank the items twice. The first time through, rank them according to your own experience. The second time, rank them as you think the other women probably did as a group. 
male readers might want to do this second ranking, guessing the responses of the study group. Please rank the following sources of depression according to their applicability in your life. Number one, absence of romantic love in my marriage. Number two, in-law conflict. Number three, low self-esteem. Number four, problems with the children. Number five, financial difficulties. Number six, loneliness, isolation, and boredom. Number seven, sexual problems in marriage. Number eight, menstrual and physiological problems. Number nine, fatigue and time pressure. Number 10, aging. Thank you.